can we just say it? Like, I want to come out of the gate saying this thing right here. Families are crazy, okay? In fact, I want to, maybe this would be therapeutic for you. If you could just say it with me. Let's just all say families are crazy together. If you want to get it off your chest, let's just go. Ready? Families are crazy. It, it, let's clap that out. Yeah. Whew. All right. I feel like we can pray and go home now. Like, we're all better. Families are crazy. Maybe it'd be more uh, realistic or more accurate to say family is crazy. Or family can be crazy. There's, there's elements to family that are just, they're hard to deal with. I think that's why reality television is so popular. I mean, we love to watch other people's family fall apart on national television because it makes us feel a little bit better about what's going on behind our closed doors, right? We're like, that's just, that's just, oh, okay, at least I'm not the only one. Family's crazy, uh, but this is real life, y'all. Like, it's real life, and family is hard. And I want to illustrate this if I could. I've got a couple of them. Um, if this were, if families were on trial right now, I want to present to you Exhibit A, okay? This is Exhibit A. Y'all recognize this? What is this? Is it, can you tell me what is wrong with this toothpaste? It has been squeezed from the middle of the tube. That's what's wrong with it. That's what's wrong with it. Like, this thing has caused riots in some people's house of us to... Stop squeezing. My kids are crazy about this. Like, they're like, we're out of toothpaste. I'm like, there's like a week and a half worth of toothpaste in there. Stop. I'm like, Eep. but I'm, the, I'm, the, uh, I'm the, the toothpaste mechanic, man. I can get toothpaste out of any tube of toothpaste. And if you're a dad, you know what I mean. Uh, here's the thing. Everyone knows that you should squeeze toothpaste from the end, right? You know that, right? That's scientifically proven. It's, it's, more, it's more betterer, okay, to do it that way. All right, that's how you should do it. So that's exhibit A. Family is crazy. Uh, here's exhibit B. I'm going to just show you this right here because this is... This is where life gets real, okay? Uh, does anybody recognize this? All right, what is it? Humor me, what is this? No, you said that wrong. This is toilet paper being hung correctly. That's what this is. And this is why, because you're sitting here and, and look at it. Whoop, easy, okay? Like your mom, I understand. I understand. I'm a, I'm a compassionate person, all my friends can tell you. I, I understand your mom might have told you this should be hung this way, okay? And this, this is good, good. And this is what I have to tell you, is that sometimes moms are wrong, okay? Sometimes they make mistakes. No, it, look, I'm being ridiculous. This is, this is just hygiene stuff, toothpaste and toilet paper. But family can get crazy. Like, we get arguments in our house about ridiculous things, and you step back and, like, you, have you ever said something to your kids? You're like, I cannot believe I just said that out loud. <laughs> get the moose off your sister's head. What? Like, did I just say that? But what happens when we get to, like, even harder conversations and situations like this one? Whose house are we going to go to for Christmas this year? I went to her house last year. I know, but she called me eight times this week, right? You know that thing? Or the, the conversation of how do you tell Aunt Susan that no one likes her Thanksgiving turkey, <laughs> right? Whew, I'll just bring the turkey this year. Bojangles has turkey. Like, we will bring it. Um, and then there's obviously even more serious conversation. Family can get crazy. And and, and let me just stop and, and back up because I want to set us up here. I, w- I want to tell you why we're talking about family this morning. Uh, we've been in this teaching series, God for the Rest of Us. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been addressing some of the things. I think there's sometimes the idea that I've got to have my life put together. Or I've got to be super religious or something for God to love me. But God says, no, I'm not expecting you to be perfect. I'm not expecting you to have your life put together all the time. I'm not expecting you to be super religious. I'm for you. What I'm expecting you to do is turn to me for help. What I'm expecting you to do is try your best to live in my grace. And then we talked about it for the last two weeks. And so when you get to family, I think that it's a really good place to land today. Because sometimes the craziness of our family, if we're honest, it keeps us from God. Those of you who have been in church for a long time, or maybe you're trying real hard to have your family in church, have you ever found it hard to just find time to just get somewhere quiet and read your Bible or pray? Why? Because it's crazy at your house. 
When do I get to do this? When do I get to do this? And, and, and you can take that spectrum and you can slide it down. Maybe you're someone who has never really engaged with church or God or Christianity, and you don't even know where to begin. Why? Because maybe it was crazy at your house. Maybe you have no reason to believe that there is a God who even loves you. We say that it's crazy, but there's maybe a more clinical word for it or maybe a more descriptive word for it. And the word I want to kind of land on today is the word dysfunction. No one wants to go around parading and saying, I have a dysfunctional family, right? But I think at the core of it, we all realize that all of our families are at least a little bit jacked up. And we got issues that we got to get to. Dysfunction is it's kind of a fancy word. It's got a, it means something. A dysfunction just simply means when something is not working properly. Okay, that's all that it means. So dysfunction is not a dirty word. It's just a descriptive word. Uh, you know, you go to car, start your car in the morning and it doesn't start. Your car has dysfunction. Cars are supposed to start, right? And, you, and your watch is constantly running fast or it's constantly running slow. Your watch has dysfun- it's dysfunctional because it's, uh, it's, they're supposed to be reliable, right? Watches are supposed to be reliable. Your computer, you're at work, and your computer freezes up and you can't get anything done. What's wrong? Your computer's dysfunctional. Computers aren't supposed to freeze up. They're supposed to help you do work and make life easier, not make life more complicated and make you want to throw a computer out the window. Like, that's, it's dysfunctional. And so sometimes the best thing for us to do when we have something that's dysfunctional is to try to define it and say, what is wrong? Because by definition, dysfunctional is when something is not working properly. Then you've got to identify what is the proper function of this device. Cars should start. Watches should stay on time. Computers should run. Families should be a place of love and mutual respect. There should be cooperation. There should be trust. And it might be that as you look at your family, whether it's the family that you live with at your house, or maybe there's just a family member, a parent, a sibling, an aunt or uncle, or maybe someone that's just kind of, they, they, they're not the biologically your family, but they're very much a part of your life. And you look at that and you're like, man, that's just not working properly. It's dysfunctional. It's broken. So today as we dig into God for the rest of us, I want to offer you some hope and hopefully some help as we address and recognize that God is for the dysfunction in your family. He can fix it. He can make it whole. He can bring life to it. In the last two weeks, uh, almost 50 of you have uh, purchased the book, God for the Rest of Us. We've got it for sale in the lobby. I think it's just like a couple left, four or five or something, I think, left. Uh, that means that a lot of you have this book by the same title as our sermon series, and hopefully that you've already cracked it up and started to read. Uh, the author of the book is a guy named Vince Antonucci. Uh, I have had the privilege of letting, Vince has been a mentor in my life for several years now. He's, uh, I can't remember if I said this last week or not, but he was very instrumental in helping this church get started. He coached me uh, through, through the last several years of, of this. And, and one thing that he's been able to really nail is the idea of helping people find God's function for their life in the dysfunction of their life. And if you read this book, one of the things you learn is that uh, Vince's life was a mess. His family was completely dysfunctional growing up. He tells story after story after story. His dad was a con man and a professional gambler. And so any given time, they were on the run from somebody or hiding out from somebody. He said they just showed up at their house occasionally, and there'd just be a moving truck in the driveway. And dad would say, hey, grab some boxes. We've got a couple hours, and then we're moving. Grab what you can. Right? Man, can you imagine that? That lack of stability, that lack of roots, and it just goes on and on. It said that one time in his book, he says that one time they were out on a, on a trip. I don't know if they were moving or if they were just on the road. It's been a while since I read the book myself. But he, they were on the road, and they stopped at a diner, him and his dad, Vince and his dad. And, and they're eating, and he notices that uh, his dad is just really flirting real hard 
with this waitress. Vince, I think, is about nine years old. And he's like, eh, kind of inappropriate. Like, mom wouldn't like that, you know? And so he sees that. And so after the meal, uh, Vince's dad does something kind of unheard of. He takes Vince uh, down the road to a hotel. And he checks Vince as a, like, nine-year-old boy into this hotel room. And he puts him in there, and he says, listen, I want you to stay here until I come back for you in the morning. Uh, presumably because he had plans with the waitress that they had been flirting earlier. And Vince protests, and he throws a fit. And he's like, no, Dad, don't leave me here. I'm scared. I'm just a little kid. Don't. He shuts the door, and he leaves. Vince tells a story about how terrified he was in that hotel room, how much he just hated his dad, kind of wished he didn't come back. But then he started to hate his life. And then he finds a glass ashtray in the hotel room, and he decides to break the ashtray, and he gets a shard of glass, and he decides not only does he hope that his dad never comes back, but he thinks maybe he wants to end his own life. This is a kid. This is the life he grows up with. Well, he tells a story and says, you know, he goes to do this thing, and couldn't bring himself to do it. He's, he's a kid, and he's like, this is crazy. Why would I do this? And so then, in shame and embarrassment, he begins spending the rest of the night cleaning up the glass because he was afraid of what happened if his dad might find out that he broke an ashtray. Next morning, dad shows up. Get in the car. And they don't say a word about it. And this is just one day in the life of this guy. Dysfunction. Where do you go from that? And, and there's the question that I've got to ask. Like, where is God in that? This is a kid. Like how? Vince tells the story that he begins to believe that no one could love him. He said, if, if my mom and dad couldn't love me, and like that's their job, how could I ever believe that God, who surely got more important things to do, could love me? That's one reason I love the book, because in it we see Vince tell his story of his journey of finding God and understanding that God is for him. Not only for him, but for his dysfunction and his dysfunctional family. And though it took years for him to kind of finally find healing in all of that, it suddenly happened when he discovered Jesus and the new life that that brought him. And the crazy changes that began to take place, and here what I can tell you about this guy, Vince, is that, man, he has since been able to impact and help to change thousands and thousands of people's lives. Not only with his story, but the story of Jesus. And the story of the healing and the wholeness that Jesus can bring in our brokenness, even in our family. And so I just got this question. Do you have dysfunction in your family? Probably, somewhere. Like I said earlier, all families are at least a little bit jacked up. Uh, There's a a quote from an author named Mary Carr. um, and She says that, I think a dysfunctional family is any family with more than one person in it. (laughs) Yeah. There are serious factors that lead to dysfunction. There really are. And, and, and maybe you need to make a mental note right now because maybe these are some things that you could be like, that's where it's coming from. <laughs> things like uh, abuse of all kinds. There's so many different types of abuse. Addiction or poor communication. As I talk to families that are really just crumbling, I'm like, have you talked to each other without screaming? Poor communication, uh, there's anger, anger issues, there's emotional issues, there's mistrust is a big thing. The list can go on and on, and I want to say this. If you're dealing with one of those things or if there's like a deeper core thing going on in you, I, I, I cannot recommend more that you seek out some good Christian counseling. This is not a group counseling session. I'm not qualified for that. Um, I'm, my goal is to teach the Bible to us this morning. But 
I mean, I, I really recommend, and there's no shame in it. There's no shame in going to someone saying, listen, I, I need a little help. Like, we can't communicate, or we've got issues, or I've got addictions, or I've got stuff in my past I need to unpack, and I need someone to help me do that. I would encourage you to do that, uh, and, and take the time. Don't wait until something blows up. Get the resources now and the tools now while you, while you still can. But here's what I want to say for us today, that God is for the dysfunctional family, whatever the dysfunction is. And more importantly, he can bring function to your dysfunction. God can restore function to your dysfunction. That's what he specializes in. So if you're feeling that that's you, or that's your family, or maybe that's just one person out in the wings of your family, I want to give you some hope. And so uh, what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at the Bible. If you've got a Bible, grab it. We've got free ones that we give away. If you, you need one, you can keep it. They're kind of under your seats. Uh, we're really only going to get to one little section in the book of Mark a little bit later. But what I want to do is take us kind of through a crash tour through the whole Bible in just a few minutes uh, of some things. that Because when you open the Bible, one of the questions that I have on, on today is this. How does God manage dysfunction in families? In fact, how does he feel about it? And, and, and is this something that he could do without or is it something that he can work through. Uh, you don't have to look far in the Bible to open it up and, and see dysfunction in family. In fact, the very first couple we meet, uh, maybe you heard of them, their names are Adam and Eve, the very first humans ever created. Adam and Eve kind of bring dysfunction into the world. The One of the only stories we know about Adam and Eve is a story about how they disobeyed God. God said, there's one rule, don't eat from the fruit of this tree. And they're like, oh, we're not going to listen to that one rule. You ever done that with your kids? Yeah, God feels the same way. He's like, I said, just one thing, don't touch. And so they touched and then it, would, it was a sin. And it led to just this, this snowball effect of sin and dysfunction in the world. Dysfunction comes when function breaks down. And our function as humans, God created us with a particular function in mind. I want you to make note of this. Your function is not your college degree. Your function is not your education. Your function is not a thing that you're proud or not so proud of on your business card. Your function is not your address or anything about your bank account. Your function, as given by God, is to bring him glory with your life. That is the function of a human being. It's why he created us. And when we lose sight of that function, what happens when function breaks down? Dysfunction. Brokenness, hurt, and it's cyclical. We see Adam and Eve, and it carries on to the next generation. They've got these kids. Maybe you've heard some of these names. I'm going to do a bunch of names. If you haven't heard them, they're on the Bible. I totally recommend that you jot down the stories that might seem... Uh, memorable to you or it's interesting to you and, and you can read through them. But Adam and Eve have these sons, Cain and Abel. Uh, it doesn't take long from that first sin to really progress. The, the sin that they commit was murder. They can't get along. So one of the sons kills the other son. Then he tries to hide it from God. And God's like, I'm God. I saw the whole thing. And so these are our parents, guys, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. Okay, This is where we all come from. No wonder all of our families are at least a little bit jacked up. The story of the Bible continues, and we're going to kind of blast through some of these. So uh, the majority of the Old Testament follows one particular family line, uh, and it's the nation of Israel, or what becomes the Jewish people. And we see that it all begins with a guy named Abraham. Abraham and his wife Sarah are promised that they would be given a son by God, and that all of this, these offspring would eventually bless the world. Um, but, God, but, but, but it was taking a little bit too long for this child to be born that God promised to Abraham and Sarah. And so Abraham said, I'm going to take things into my own hands. So he tries to have a child with with his wife's servant. That's a terrible idea, but they do it anyway, and there's a whole other bit of drama that takes place from there. And then, and, and, and that's just a mess. God says, I have a plan for you. This is my plan. Do this, and he doesn't. And then a lot of things spiral out of control from there, but, but it comes together. No, no matter the mess up that Abraham made, God said, I'm still going to work my promise through you. So eventually God does bless Abraham and Sarah with a child. His name is Isaac. Uh, there's some mess and some drama that happens there. It's family stuff, yet God's plan moves forward. I want to fast forward a generation. Uh, Isaac ends up 
uh, having two sons. They're twins, and they're a hot mess. I mean, these guys, Jacob and Esau, they can't get along from the day that they're born. And then one thing after the other, lies, deceit, infighting. I wish I could get into all the stories about the stuff that broke them up. But eventually, the two boys end up being at each other's throats so much, they have to move to different countries so that they don't start a war with each other. And that's crazy. Dysfunction, drama, yet God continues to move his plan forward through this broken family. So that it happens that the younger twin, Jacob, who, by the way, is the biggest dog of the group, comes in and he gets this prominent role in God's plan. And so then Jacob's family comes in. Uh, Jacob's family, man, it's born in dysfunction. Uh, I don't know if you know the story of how Jacob found his, his wife, uh, but I'll tell you this. He was married to sisters, both of them. He was married to two sisters. That's crazy. Most of us guys cannot handle even one wife. Can you imagine wearing your, marrying your wife's sister also? And just a little side spoiler, if you want to read a really good story in the Bible, if you haven't read it, you should read the story about how he marries his two wives because on their wedding day, the, the father-in-law uh, switches brides. Like he thinks he's marrying this one sister and then it's, I guess, dark and maybe they have on, I don't know, face covering. I don't know how this slipped by the cracks. I honestly, for the life of me, can't understand how you accidentally marry the wrong person. But they, it, they wake up the next morning, apparently. He's like, ah! And she's like, ah! And he's like, this is not what we planned. So what does he have to do? Seven years later, he marries the other sister. It's a mess. Dysfunction. Drama. Yet God's plan continues to move on. Jacob has some sons. He ends up having 12 of them. All kinds of drama happening there. The big story you need to know is that of the 12 sons, the youngest son, one of the younger sons was kind of hated by the older brothers because dad loved him a little bit more, I guess, and showed him some favor. So they're like, you know, what do you do when you, when you want to pick on your younger brother? Uh, you throw him in a pit and you tell your dad that a, a wild animal ate him, right? No, that's not what you, you like, pull their hair, you maybe steal their Legos. Um, that's what they do. They throw their brother into a pit and they go tell their dad that a wild beast had eaten their brother. And then... To add insult to injury, they sell him into slavery. You thought your big brother was rough. This dude gets sold into slavery by his brothers. Okay, dysfunction, drama, jacked up. Yet God continues to move forward with his plan with this family. And the, and the family tree goes on and on and on, generation after generation. In fact, that's the majority of the content of the Old Testament is what this family uh, does and, and lives and has. And they're stealing and there's lying and, and there's crazy stuff like murder and incest. And a few of the women are prostitutes. And this family tree goes on and on. You remember the Jerry Springer show? This is the Old Testament, okay? And here's the kicker. The family tree of the Old Testament, you might not know this. I hope that you've picked this up in the last uh, couple of years as we've been going through the Bible. But if you didn't know this, you've got to know this. The, the Old Testament is the family tree of Jesus. Like if you follow the lineage of the Old Testament, it's not just random people and then there's Jesus. The reason they're in the Bible is because it's the story of the family tree of Jesus, which sheds a whole new light on this whole dysfunctional family thing, doesn't it? Like you would think Jesus, the Savior of the world, the Son of God, the founder of the church, the head of the church, all this thing that we look up to, the focal point of Christianity, you would think that that guy would at least be from a family who had their stuff together. But it's not the case. God sees the brokenness in the world and he says, I can use that. I can work through that. I can make it better. I need to say this. They weren't all bad. I don't want to paint a picture like everyone in the whole Bible was bad. A lot of them were. But they weren't all bad because this is what happened. Every couple of generations, someone would come along. And they would realize that they had lost sight of their primary function, which was what? To give glory to God with your life. And someone would say, we should, we should return to our function. 
We should give glory to God. And when they do that one thing, it was amazing how much better their family functioned. It was amazing how much quicker God's plan for the world moved forward. But it was only a generation or two later. The saddest thing that, that I see as I look at families is that it really only takes one generation to create a whole new vicious cycle. Until one person is willing to stand up and say, I'm going to break that cycle. So sadly, the cycle continues. Now that's the Old Testament. And, and so that, uh, it kind of takes us to this place where I'm kind of like, ugh. It's not a very happy place to be. I don't want to be here today. I was kind of hoping to smile some more. <laughs> and we ask ourselves the question, what do I do with that? How do I process that? How do I move forward? Because maybe you felt like you were in this circus before. Just pick one of the pieces of your family. And you're like, man, I recognize that. I recognize that from the Bible. I recognize that from the story from Vince's life. I recognize that. I've been in this circle before. So what I want to do in, our, in the rest of our time together is I want to fast forward that family tree, okay? And we're going to jump all the way through the Old Testament. There's a little break in the middle. And then the New Testament begins. The New Testament is the last third of your modern Bibles, English Bibles. And that New Testament is the story of Jesus' life and the beginnings of the church and teachings for how we can live our life in Jesus. And so I hope that you'll learn more about that if you don't already know it. But we get to... Jesus' life in the family tree. And I want to pick up there. Because if we look at a story in his life that we're going to focus on in Mark chapter 3, I think we can see a principle, uh, maybe even just a huge life lesson, that if we apply that to our lives and to our families, it can help us grow beyond dysfunction. So we'll be in Mark chapter 3. Mark is a biography of the, Jesus, the life of Jesus. Uh, and uh, Matthew, Mark is the second book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. These four books are all biographies of Jesus' life. So if you've got a Bible, open up to Mark chapter 3 or scroll down on your device. We also have it on the screen behind me if you don't have a Bible. And, uh, but before we read Mark chapter 3, we'll be in verse 20. I want to give you the setup for where Jesus' family was, where he lands. Like if you thought that your family was crazy, I want you to know that even the family that Jesus was born into had a lot of craziness, a lot of dysfunction, a lot of drama. Uh, for example, his, early, his earthly parents, Mary and Joseph, um, they had a really bad reputation for his early childhood. You know why? People made assumptions about Mary. She was going around saying, um, God has made me pregnant by the Holy Spirit. I'm pregnant, and I'm a virgin. And her neighbors were like, right. That happens all the time. Me too. Me too, Holy Spirit, bringing me babies all the time. People didn't believe her, so her reputation was that she was kind of a floozy. And then jo Joseph, that was the earthly father of Jesus, that he was kind of a sucker. <laughs> you know, it's like, man, you didn't know? It doesn't even look like you, man, right? And so there's this whole thing going on with that. And then, and, and, and beyond that, uh, there's other family drama going on. Jesus dives right into it. Jesus says, that's the family I want to come into. It uh, didn't end there. Uh, there was this paranoid king who was trying to kill Jesus for the first couple years of his life. You thought you grew up in a rough neighborhood? Imagine if the governor of North Carolina was trying to actively kill you. Like, that's exactly what Jesus was born into. So they have to flee the country. They go to Egypt for a couple years. That's rough, okay? This is the craziness that Jesus grew up in. Uh, again, this is, a little bit of, this, this is a little bit of speculation, but a lot of scholars kind of land here. Uh, we don't know much about Jesus' childhood, but one thing that we do see is that after the birth story, the birth narrative, we don't hear anything else about Joseph. We don't, hear anything, we don't know if he, if he died or if something happened. We don't hear anything about him. He's certainly not there at the end of the story. And, and it might be a little speculation, but I'm just curious. Have you ever lost a family member? You ever felt the void that losing a father brings to a family or a mother or a grandparent or, or a sibling or a child? See, the drama sometimes is stuff you can't even control. But it's real and it's life and it's what Jesus dives into. 
Jesus, the, the focal personality of Christianity, the head of the church, the son of God, comes right into a dysfunctional family. So if you're looking for hope, here's the thing. God could have come to any family on the planet Earth. He could have created a new family to come into that was all perfect and just all smiling all the time, white picket fence, and it's great. And, 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 but he, instead, he chose to come to an unmarried girl in a third world country and be born into poverty in a city, which, by the way, the reputation for the city that he was raised in, the reputation was nothing good ever comes from that city. Jesus chose to be born into dysfunction, and here's why. I believe why. I believe because beyond all else, God wants us to know that he gets us. He relates to us. He has come down, and he's lived in it, and he's experienced it. So finally, we're going to land in Mark chapter 3. Jesus has started traveling and teaching, and so on one occasion while he's teaching, his family shows up, and they bring a little bit of drama. It's a very brief account, but I think it's packed. Let's look at Mark 3, verse 20. It says, Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples weren't even able to eat. That's a lot of people. Like, you imagine having many people in your house? So when his family heard about this, his family here is this big party. Jesus is teaching. They went to take charge of him. And listen to what they said. They said, he's out of his mind. Now, this is a very brief account. Uh, we're already halfway through this story. And so you might look at that and be like, this doesn't seem like a really big deal. One thing you need to understand about the book of Mark. Uh, some people call the book of Mark the gospel of action. Because Mark's like, boom, 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 boom. He got ADD. And so he's like jumping from thing to thing to thing. His stories are often very short which means they're condensed and we need to pay special attention to the words he chooses. So his family comes here and he says, he is out of his mind. And, and so since Mark condenses the story so much, I, I think he left out some of the details. Like I totally wish he included the part where Jesus was like, Mom, <laughs> I told you not to come visit me at work. You know, that's not cool. But I don't know, they leave, they leave that whole part out and we just get this story. And, and I got to ask you this question. Have you ever felt like your family didn't support you? You ever felt like they weren't behind what you were doing with their, your life? Jesus is here, he's doing his thing. His family should know good and well what he set out to do because it's never been any other assumption made about his life. But he's out doing this. His family shows up to crash the party and they're telling people, basically having a picketing party outside saying, don't listen to this guy. He's out of his mind. He's a little bit crazy. So Jesus keeps teaching though. Uh, some people ask him some questions. You can read through that and see some of the things that go on. It's a pretty cool conversation. But his family doesn't leave while he's teaching. They just stay there. They're just kind of standing around after the fact. And a few just verses later, we see that they're still there, and they're now trying to get Jesus' attention again, but this time they're trying to get somebody else to go get Jesus. You ever had that happen? Like, you try to talk to somebody, and they wouldn't listen to you, so you were like, look, can you go tell so-and-so that I said such and such? And that's what they're doing here. So in verse 31, we pick up kind of part two of the story. It says, then Jesus' mother, notice that his mother's there, Mary. Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone to call to him. The crowd was sitting around him. They told him, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. So Jesus says this in verse 33. He says, who are my mother and my brothers? He asked. Then he looked at those seated in the circle around him and he said, here, here are my brothers and my mother. Whoever does God's will is my brother and my sister and my mother. In scene. That's the end of the story. It's how we get, but I think it's packed. I think it's loaded with a lesson for us. I, I, I want to unpack this, but before I do, I got, I got a question. I got some questions about this passage. My first one is this. Why was his family so against him? Especially Mary. Surely she remembers being visited by an angel and told, 
the Son of God is going to come to you, and it's going to, he's going to do amazing things. Surely, and you, you wonder if, if Jesus is like, come on, Mom, don't you remember the angel? You remember when you got pregnant by a miracle? Remember that? Remember all the stuff that came? Remember, it wasn't that long ago when he turned water into wine at a wedding festival. It was his mom's idea. So I've got a lot of questions about that. Biblical scholars have tossed that question around as to what was it that made Mary particularly question what was going on right here. I think it was, it was definitely some sort of spiritual warfare happening. I can't understand what happened with his mom. She does eventually come around. But what I can understand is his siblings. Imagine growing up with your brother and sister, and then one day when they're, when they're grown, they start walking around talking about how they're the son of God. <laughs> You're like, I want you all to picture your older sibling right now if you have one. Now picture them walking around saying, I'm the son of God. And you're like, yeah, he does that all the time. And we're like, Jerry, put pants on, right? So like, they're crazy. That's, that's who that person is, okay? And so imagine your brother is walking around saying, I'm here to establish a new kingdom. I'm here to bring God's new word. I can understand. And can you imagine, by the way, growing up with Jesus as your older brother? Why can't you be more like your older brother, Jesus? <laughs> Mom, stop. He's always turning water into wine, raising dead birds from the dead. I don't know. Um, but Jesus' response in all this is so succinct and it's so perfect. He's, it might have stung a little bit, but it's simply loaded with a lesson for us. In all of Jesus' family drama, he steps up and he says this. I am not going to let this drama get in the way of God's will for my life. I'm not going to let my family drama get in the way of God's will for my life. He says, who are my mother and my brothers? The only real family I have are the people who are sitting right here, right now, trying to do God's will with me. Wow. It's cold, Jesus, but it's strong. I think there's a few takeaways we can grab from this story and, and from everything we just saw. I mean, we, we took a tour through the whole Bible today, by the way. Good job. <laughs> you did good on that. Um, and I think there are at least three takeaways that at least I walk away with it. So, I mean, I see some of you are taking notes. If you want to write these down, I think there's are the things that can help your family. The first one is this. I hope you've already even seen it. The first one is this, is that dysfunction happens when we lose sight of God in our lives. Dysfunction happens when we lose sight of God in our life. We were created to bring glory to God. And when we lose sight of that, or maybe you've never heard that before, dysfunction happens. That's the story of the Old Testament. If you read all the Old Testament stories that I just kind of summarized, a few of them, that's what happens. Each generation that loses their focus on God finds nothing but a mess of dysfunction. Each generation. And even briefly in this story of Jesus, uh, his family, for the moment, has lost sight of what this bigger picture was. And they're trying to bring drama. We're going to see in a second that, that they didn't all stay in that sense of not looking for God's will, but... Dysfunction happens when we lose sight of God in our lives. If you don't believe me with that, all I want you to do is just take a quick inventory of what's going on in the world right now. Find the dysfunction and ask yourself, in that dysfunction, are people trying to seek God's will or are they trying to seek their will? I think that you will find overwhelmingly that dysfunction is caused when we lose sight of God's will for our life. So that's, that's the first takeaway. Um, the second takeaway I see is this, that God can work in a dysfunctional family to bring good things to the world. God can work in a dysfunctional family or dysfunctional life or dysfunctional workplace, dysfunctional neighborhood, whatever, to bring good things in this world. Uh, we saw it with Vince at the beginning. All the mess that he went through, yet thousands of people have been able to come to a knowledge of God because of Vince's story. And so sometimes our dysfunction gives us a story to tell, especially when we discover God. And it makes us able to help other people. I mentioned our men's retreat earlier. It was so cool to, to listen to, uh, I'm, I'm a younger guy from that group, actually, and to listen to some of the older guys just tell their story and be like, 
thank you. <laughs> thank you for letting me know I'm not crazy and that you found something to hold on to. And so our dysfunction can bring good things. Uh, it serves as a great way for us to help other people. Um, God works in that. We see it over and over and again in the Bible, how God uses and works through broken family, after broken family, after broken family, even through the hurt. God uses that brokenness as a conduit to show his greatness. It's something that God does. Listen, maybe the best thing happening in your family right now is the kids. Maybe your, your family has been a hot mess of mess, mess, jacked up, crazy drama mess. But you got that kid in your family. What if the greatest calling on your life is to help them find God? In fact, I know that's why some of you are here right now, because you've told me. I started coming to church because my, my, kids, <laughs> my kids need to be in a good place. I just want to do better for them. I don't know all the answers. And you're struggling with faith. You're struggling with questions about God. But you're like, I, I feel like I just need to have my kids in a good place. And this is what I want you to know. God can bring good things out of dysfunction. He does it all the time. He specializes in it. And maybe that's all you needed to hear today. You, you're excused. <laughs> but wait, I've got a third thing. Um, that brings me to my third takeaway that I, that I took away from this whole thing. And this is this. That the way to restore function to your dysfunction is to do things God's way. That's the way to restore dysfunction. Do things God's way. It's the function we were created to perform. God tells the people in that, in that group, he says, uh, whoever does God's will is my brother and my sister and my mother. This is my family. I, I've got to do God's will. To restore function, we've got to do life God's way. You can't expect every single person in your family to suddenly just say, you know what? I need to stop the craziness. Uh, and I need, I need to just start seeking God in my life. Like, that would be great. It'd be awesome. But let me tell you what you can do. You can do your part. You can do your part. I told you that I recommend counseling if, and, and to go. And I, I spent some time with a counselor trying to just get my mess worked out. One of the greatest things my counselor told me was this. He said, you've got to get your side of the road clean. Quit looking across the street and seeing what everybody else is doing wrong. And you've got to get your side of the road clean. Because nobody's going to want to come and play on your side of the road until you get your side of the road clean. And he said that to me over and over again. And maybe that's just what you could begin to do in your family. I'm going to begin to do things God's way. Even when my family calls me crazy. Even when they say I'm out of my mind. I'm going to do things God's way. That's why I love Jesus' response to his family. He says, I'm not going to let dysfunction in my family keep me from the will of God. I'm not going to do it. And maybe that's a stance you need to take. Maybe you need to say... Our family might be a cycle of brokenness, but I want to be the one who breaks the cycle. Will you be bold enough and brave enough to do that? I hope you will, and I hope that you can find strength here with friends and family from church, and you can say, man, I'm trying this. Can you help me along the way? I'm not sure that all of Jesus' family comes around to you know, honoring God and doing everything and, and even recognizing him as, as the son of God. I'm not sure of that, but I do know that some of them did. I, I know that Mary, the mother of Jesus, eventually we see here at the end of the story, and she's totally on board, and she's a follower of Jesus. That's pretty cool. How cool would it be to follow your own son? Like, how proud must she have been as a mother? But then I also know that we find that his, uh, his brother James, uh, he becomes the first pastor of the first church ever in Jerusalem. That's awesome. And then two of the books in our Bible, James and Jude, were both written by brothers of Jesus. So we know that not only do these people come around, but they become leaders in the church. And so I I hope for that, for you. That the people in your family, maybe not all of them come around, but some of them say, you know what? This God thing is totally worth pursuing. It'll totally be worth it when you look back on your life and say, those people are serving God because I began to clean my mess up. 
And they saw that and they decided they wanted to follow. Have you ever heard of uh, Kintsugi? Kintsugi? Kintsugi is an uh, ancient Chinese pottery style. Uh, it's, it's beautiful. Uh, take a look at a few pieces of Kintsugi. This is kind of what it looks like. Uh, they've got it for sale online. It's um, expensive, so I don't have any. But, uh, but that, that's kind of what it looks like. There's a legend as to what this stuff is. Um, Kintsugi, it's, it's, it's pottery that uh, has been broken, and then it's mended back together with gold. The legend is that, that apparently uh, some king or emperor, I think it was like a Japanese king or emperor or something, had, had this broken pot and pottery, and he sends it back over to the potter that was from China to fix it. And so the potter sitting there looking at it said, man, I can't send this back to a king just like glued back together. Like he didn't just have the crazy glue out. He's like, I want to make this thing beautiful. So he decides to mend it back together with gold. And so when the king gets the piece of pottery back, he sees it. It's like, this has become the, my favorite part of my collection. It's more beautiful and more valuable than it ever was even before it was broken. Kintsugi is also a philosophy. It treats breakage and repair as part of the history of the object rather than something that should be covered up. Sometimes we try to sweep stuff under the rug, right? But in reality, it's like, man, if we could just own it, this is me. This is my brokenness. What has dysfunction done in your life, in your family? God says, bring me the pieces. Let me put you back together. Seek me first. I can mend you. I can make you whole. And when I do, you're going to be stronger and more beautiful and more valuable than you ever were before the brokenness happened in the first place. Here at our church, we call that being grace-shaped. We say it all the time. Life shapes us <laughs> but we're not going to say I, I'm I, we're no longer going to say I, I'm, I'm uh, defined by my past and the shape and the bentness and the squishiness that it made me but I'm only going to choose to be defined by my present and the future that I can have in God's love and grace we call that being grace shaped God can work in the brokenness people use this kintsugi thing as an analogy to show us what God can do for us and so this is my challenge for you and for your broken family and for the dysfunction in your life. Bring the broken pieces to Jesus. He'll make you whole. God is for the dysfunction in your family. And if the rest of your family doesn't jump on board right away or ever, they might want to call you crazy. He wants you to know. Look around. Look around. These are your brothers and your sisters and your mother and your father. We're family. We're in this together. And I don't know if your family will ever learn how to squeeze toothpaste or put the toilet paper on right. <laughs> but we can know. And we can be stronger because of his love. Can I just pray for our families this morning? Let's pray. God, you're good and, and your love is healing. Right now I pray for the, the one person in this room maybe, maybe there's 20, 30 of us, I don't know, who are just uh, really broken up over family mess and... Um, it's just, it's just hard to look at that and, and see your plan in it. Especially when we want to believe that, you know, you would just swoop down and fix everything for us. But the dysfunction is not your plan and it's not your fault. It's because we lost sight of our purpose. So God, what I pray for for our church today, Lord, I pray for you to restore purpose, for you to restore function in our individual lives and in our families, for the moms and dads in the room, for the kids that are in the room, yeah, for the... Uh, the grandparents, for those who are, are single and just trying to get through life and, 
and maybe this is a big part of their family, or those who are, um, they feel like their workplace is their family. Lord, I pray that you work through each one of us and show us the function that you designed us for. Restore that to us, that we can be made whole. Thank you for Jesus, and thank you for the restoration he brings. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.